0: Hey there, my friend, Clark Brown here with Disaster Podcaster, and we are yet again changing up how we are doing the podcast this week. We've had many guests, we've had topics, sometimes it's Toby and I talking about things. Today, today's going to be a little more informational. For episode 21 of the Disaster Podcast, we're going to be talking about the topic that is on a lot of different chat forums these days, and it's about asbestos and the laws and how that applies to those of us doing emergency services and mitigation. It's a very confusing topic. We're going to try to crystallize it today a little bit and let you leave with some real actionable steps on uh, removing some of that confusion. Welcome back. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor for the Disaster Podcaster, Kahi. Kahi. K-A-H-I. Kahi.io is the website where you can go to find the information. The, The team over at Kahi have developed a really, really great software for equipment, fleet, and even personnel tracking and analytics and telemetrics, they actually call it, telematics. Um, This is a great system for tracking some of your most expensive equipment, where it's been, where it was last, things like that. It's a really great intuitive. There's some AI built into it and they're doing some great things and they are integrating with a lot of CRMs and restoration project management software. So we want to thank them for their sponsorship. It helps us pay for some of the gear that we've got here to bring some great content and um, just just great people, good friends, and we thank them. So today, episode 21, we are talking about asbestos, okay? You may know everything there is about asbestos. Uh, I have some very close friends and colleagues that have invested a lot of their time and energy into helping uh, educate this industry on that. And, and I do the same thing, I've been for years on this but I still find that there are objections, there is confusion, and then just some that haven't heard the message. So what I'd like to achieve today are, get rid of the myths and and, and explain how asbestos applies, what you should be doing in it, uh, which you should be doing with it, excuse me, in asbestos, in in restoration, mitigation, and even general contracting. And, and, And how I think we could give you some tips on The objections that you might receive from either a carrier, a TPA, or a homeowner, um, and and, and how you should go about that, and and why it's important. So um, this won't be a really long uh, podcast today. I don't think this conversation requires a ton of of data. Um, We're going to keep it real high level. I'm going to have some information here. I will have some items that I reference that I will put into the description of the podcast or either on the YouTube link um, that will give you access to download these and use them in your onboarding of your customer, training your team, and understanding how your company is going to address this. Okay, so first I wanna talk about asbestos. Um, asbestos, as much as we talk about how hazardous it is, it is actually one of the most available and, and, and the, it's, it's one of the minerals in this world that there's the most of. I believe it is almost mined in every country on this planet to some degree, some more than others. Asbestos is a very fibrous uh, material and mineral, okay? In its raw form. It has a lot of incredibly great properties, which include um, very strong, very, very strong it can be adapted and used in many, many different applications. It has a high tensile strength. It also is available very much everywhere, making it very inexpensive to use, which makes it very, very uh, attractive for products to use it. And then it also has some very high flame retardancy, fire-resistant properties, which make it great uh, for insulation. So it's got a lot of insulation and, and cool and heat temperature barrier uh, properties, which makes it very popular. So it's been used for a very, very, very long time in the construction of buildings, in industrial settings. Um, now we're going to move towards, why are we talking about it's hazardous? Well, once it's manufactured into a product, it is bound. It's what they call bound, and it's it's formed inside of the, 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 the construction and the binding of, of a material. And those mater- there are tens of thousands of things that use asbestos, shingles on roofs, there is caulking, mastic, uh, a joint compound in your homes is a very common thing. There are duct uh, insulation, both, all kinds of insulation, both uh, hearts open cell and, and, and fibrous bat insulation that has some asbestos. It's very, very, very common to use in a lot of these places. But once it has become what the, they call friable, F-R-I-A-B-L-E, that's the term that's used in friability, um, it has become disturbed. It's no longer in a state of construction where it is actually safe, but it has been disturbed through uh, demolition, on through um, if a home has become... Uh, In our case, if a home has been flooded or there's a fire and these properties are pulled apart in some kind of way, the fibers are so tiny, they can't be seen. You cannot tell by looking at a product if it is asbestos-containing material, ACM. You'll hear that term today, ACM, asbestos-containing material. You'll also hear the term PACM and that is a presumed asbestos containing material. There are a lot of materials uh, that we have come across in construction that are commonplace to have asbestos in them and they are nine by nine tiles. Again, I mentioned insulation, joint compound, um, mastic, usually black mastic is, them, is, is found, um, the, the, the pucks, the, the adhesive puck on the back of a mirror in bathrooms and those settings. Um, are often containing material, but there's just a lot. This is far too many. Um, if you, you know, I'm going to give you some education today where you can go and see that. So once it's made friable, once it's become disturbed or it's now in a status in the status that can be harmful or harmful, it's so fine and so small when breathed in, when consumed through your airway, It will lodge itself in your esophagus and into the bronchial tubes. It will actually, and it's so fibrous, it doesn't ever leave. And and there are people that are more susceptible than others to exposure by asbestos. And that is people, asthma, um, upper respiratory issues. Uh, Smokers have a higher um, susceptibility to being affected by this. But everyone is affected by it, which is why it is a regulated hazardous material by the EPA, a, for, a branch of the government, Environmental Protection Agency. Well, they are protecting the environment and the people that are in it, the public. The EPA represents the public and has brought down some regulation on this, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But they I want everyone to know that EPA and OSHA, which we'll talk about, have a zero tolerance, or what they call a PEL, personal, personal exposure level. Okay, I know I'm getting to do a lot of terms here, I wanna talk really easy, really easy terms. Personal exposure level is what medical and scientific communities have decided that in any certain compound gas fluid, that the exposure level of that to the human person over a period of a, usually a work day, an eight hour period, how much of that they can be exposed to. So it could be a little, it could be a lot. Asbestos has a zero. If there is 0.01% asbestos in any material, it is deemed as a hazardous material and should be approached following protocols that include PPE and removal and and, and sometimes regulation. Okay, So I wanna stop there, we'll come back for a moment. Now let's get to the big topic that comes in a lot. I hear it a lot. Clark, we only test in homes before the dates of, and, and they're all over the place. 1988, 1981, uh, 91. It's really kind of all over the board. And, and I know that comes from a lot of misinformation. And I want to clear it up simply, but I'm also going to give you proof today that what I'm saying is correct. And I really, really want you to adopt and listen to this, okay, because it affects a lot of things that we do. Asbestos, Let me. I'm going to tell you the year. I think it's 1989. Asbestos was finally, after many years starting in the 70s, which is when they discovered that this was harmful to people. That, that that men and women that were in the workplace that were exposed to asbestos containing materials that had been made friable you know uh, had been disturbed either through sanding or construction or mining or anything without the proper PPE were causing a serious health condition for people one of those is mesothelioma you'll see a lot of the attorneys with lawsuits for mesothelioma um, the problem with as mesothelioma and many of the illnesses related to asbestos, it's a long-term issue, meaning sometimes it does not expose itself for up to 20 years. Um, we were working in conditions, and, and, and throughout the industrial age of the United States and the world, we've done things until we have scientific data that tells us that it's no longer safe. So after 20 years, 30 years, maybe 40, there was a, a a sizable and noticeable number of people who were becoming very ill, respiratory illnesses, or having, you know, dying, passing away. And then they found that they had all been exposed to asbestos, which brought forth, we need to do something about this. Some regulation needs to happen. It was tried over many years, and the EPA finally in 19, and I've got it written here. I hope it's. I think it's 1989. It's called the Asbestos Hazard Material Act or Clean Air Act. That act only made it illegal, or they banned the manufacturing of materials in the United States that contain asbestos. Simply put, you can't make things in America anymore that have asbestos. That probably did some good. But even to this day, October 18th, 2021, we still import materials into the United States from India, China, Canada, Mexico, many countries that don't fall under the jurisdiction of the EPA and that our import-export laws do not remedy that. They are imported and used in structures. So therefore, the date, that most people hang their hat on is when they felt like people stopped building materials and building houses and commercial properties and industrial coatings without asbestos, but they could still get that from overseas. And it's even more so now than ever because cost comes into it. Mexico, China, Canada, other countries, it's so plentiful, it's very inexpensive, and it makes products very competitive to buy, cheaper even when importing it. So what I'm saying is, and I want this to resonate, what I'm saying to tell you, you have to test every home. Every single property that you go and do work on that you might be disturbing a building material that might be PACM, potential asbestos containing a presumed asbestos-containing material, regardless of the age of the building, it has just as much likelihood to have asbestos-containing material. So, what I'm saying is, we have a hazardous material, treat it like mold, treat it like nuclear radiation if you want, obviously in a lesser degree. Treat your projects as if they are containing of asbestos-containing material, okay? I'm going to talk in a few minutes about how we approach that, okay? But I want to clear out the point. I want to get rid of the myth. and I I want to hold everyone that's watching, listening to this. This is not an opinion. This is the law. I want to tell you that the OSHA enforces compliance with what the EPA, okay? They're really not connected. What OSHA plays into, OSHA is, is, is something you should really be concerned with. EPA Banning the creation or the manufacturing of this material has nothing really to do with you. It has nothing to do with how you run your business, but OSHA does. OSHA regulates and enforces protection of the workers. You are a restoration contractor, and you are um, assumably, unless you're working by yourself and you're not following, you're, you know, you're not a legal entity. You are doing. Potentially demolition, removal of building materials, disturbing, you know, a, a structure to, you know, help with the drying. Obviously, we like to dry in place, but there are times, especially in Category Two and Three, where we have to have removal of the source, mold remediation. The material that you're removing or disturbing, or even if you arrive and it's it's been disturbed through the ceiling caving in or the wall caving in or some kind of burning or a fire you have to presume through a risk assessment that that might be asbestos in there. Okay. Doesn't matter what year, that's the, that's what I want to really resonate and get across today. I personally have performed restoration remediation on projects as late as 2018. And I have some colleagues and friends, same thing, 2020, 2019, materials. Right now, Hurricane Ida in Louisiana, there are people in Louisiana that are testing for materials that the customer, the homeowner, did a renovation and they have receipts that this material is bought at Home Depot, brought this into their home. Now they've had a hurricane, there needs to be demolition, it's asbestos-contained material. Had they not tested that, They've exposed their workers, their employees, their beloved staff to this harmful, hazardous material. So OSHA comes into place by enforcing that. It's a law. It's not a standard. It's a law that you must identify all hazards in a job. You are required by OSHA, no matter what you do, this is beyond asbestos, to a approach a job and perform a risk assessment a job safety assessment JSA there are lots of different n- names for it JSA job safety assessment JHA job site hazard assessment you are looking at the project the job the scope of what you just you've been contracted to do and you are looking to identify any and all risk are there are there electrical hazards Is there a trip and fall hazard? Will there be ladders? What hazards are there? What about heat? You're working in in an attic. You might be wearing a tieback. What hazards are there? Are there materials there um, that need to be tested for lead, for asbestos? Silica is now becoming a large topic at OSHA. They are discovering uh, um, some silica, silicosis, some really, really ugly diseases coming from the Absorption and ingestion, ingestion of that. A fire, you have carcinogens that are present through the char and the ash. That's toxic. It's very, very, very toxic. People get very sick and and and, and die from absorption and breathing from char and ash, from combustible products. Okay, so OSHA is the law. There, they will come to the job. Not often. They they respond to certain they respond to accidents and then to complaints and usually just compliance of res, they don't cruise through residences and in, in neighborhoods and look for this. But your staff should know that you are there to protect them. So you're gonna do a risk assessment and then you're going to identify an approach to this project that includes the proper PPE. Now this is where you need to make a relationship. With the local I, IEP, environmental professional, independent environmental professional, uh, an IH is not necessarily always needed. Someone in your state that's licensed, and even in some states, you can do it yourself. Get licensed through AHERA, A-H-E-R-A, to pull your own samples. Pull the samples. They show you how. Package those up the right way. They still need to go to a lab. Asbestos can only be identified through microscope and fine scientific equipment you cannot see it by the naked eye you cannot say that does or does not have asbestos without scientific evidence so pull the samples have them tested once you have the results then you start to develop a determination of the scope and the, and the, the safety plan a, a hascom communications plan around how we're gonna do that usually it has to do with some containment Um, PPE, engineering controls, things of that nature, okay? Some states you can't do abatement. It may be the end of that for you. You need to find an abatement contractor as a partner and have them come in to do the abatement on these jobs. Your customer will see you as professional. Your employees will see that you are protecting them from this, and you'll be the kind of company you were hoping you would be. But let's stop talking about date. Let's stop talking about does it apply to us, does it not? Any building, any structure, it's written in OSHA under 29 CFR Part 19.26.01101. The the terminology basically says you are, uh, and I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this PDF downloadable. It's the uh, it's the OSHA asbestos standard for construction. There is not an asbestos standard or law specifically for restoration contractors. We don't have a niche identified no ship so we fall under construction so we have to adhere to that but you have a due diligence clause that you are supposed to check for all hazards before proceeding with the work i'm going to give this to you it's going to be in the downloads okay but you have to do it and then you've got to develop a ppe plan around there don't know what the plan is get some help reach out to us at restoration Con- uh, restoration advisors and we will help you with identifying what hazards might require what procedures next it, it's containment and there's certain things I will tell you I've done lots of these jobs as well as so many other people so I want to talk about I want to continue to talk about we talked about the recognition of the hazardous and liabilities how it pertains to restoration um, the dates that are mythical um, there doesn't matter just remove that from your mindset unplug that part of your brain that says this houses that are dated this it's every home and I can't tell you how many people once I've taught this once they've heard and learned this from somewhere else. I'm not the only person teaching this. This is actually very common and I'm appalled at how many people don't do it. But once people change their workflow, they find out that there are so many, they're actually bothered by how many times they did projects where they didn't test. I will say this as well. And I want to say this with a big asterisk. This is not the reason why, but asbestos in homes can actually make you more money, not from, let's bill for it because it's asbestos, but by doing the right thing. There's very few times in our industry that doing the right thing can actually yield you more revenue and profit, but it also lines up with doing the right thing and being the professional company you were hoping that your customer would recognize you weren't. Okay? Okay. Next, I want to talk about overcoming objections from this, and the next steps. So, elephant in the room for all my friends: you're going to let's say you start testing every job. Okay, you need to obviously build that into your. Uh, I would put that in your contract, in your agreement with your client, that we follow all OSHA and EPA regulations. And if you want to have a copy of that in a binder or available through an email to the customer that's perfect the more documentation to back up why you're taking professional precautions is great keep it simple don't overload your client in the time of generally emergency stasis they're they're just going through so much don't throw a bunch of jargon in their face what they want to know is did I hire the right company are you going to do the right thing your job is not by law, is not to protect the insured, the homeowner. That's something that you as a company choose to do, but your obligation is to your staff. This is the law and it's what you're supposed to do. But you're going to tell the customer, we only, we're gonna to have to, now if I'm drying in place and I'm only pulling carpet and pad, now there's been times where padding under carpet has had some mastic to it. It's arguable if you're starting to have a hard time and that's not coming up, extract, Set your equipment, set containment, get that tested. You can have testing in some markets the same day, sometimes the next day. It depends on where, what, you know, you, you know, you live in the middle of nowhere, there might not be a lab close by, doesn't matter. That is not an excuse not to do it at all. It's what it's gonna do, it's going to extend your stabilization period. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But you're gonna onboard your customer like you do with everything and tell them we are an independent firm, we have hundreds of great reviews, we take care of people, this is what we love to do. But before we rush in here and start doing everything, we have to take some precautionary steps. We're gonna extract water, we're gonna do that. I'm gonna set some containment so I can make a chamber and focus the drying or the cleaning or whatever's going on in this room. I'm gonna, like I said, do the extraction. I may set a dehumidifier to start stabilization, an air scrubber. Negative pressure fitting out, okay? No air movement at this time. This is the, These are the steps for approaching this. You are going to contact, once you've done that, you're gonna document it, you're gonna photo document everything you're doing. You're going to uh, do a written daily report about the steps you took and why. Now, let's pause for a moment. If the ceiling has fallen or the walls are falling or there's some material that is, if tiles are popping up and you think they might be asbestos containing material, what I want you to do at that point is go in with full face respirator because you don't know the hazards yet, so you have to default without testing, you have to assume that it might be just for this period. So you're going to go in in full Tyvek, you're going to go in in full preparation, put some containments up, you're going to protect the, the affected area from the not affected as much as you can, you're going to Clean it up a little bit. That material that's fallen, I want you to make safe and continue to drop that ceiling so that it's not falling anymore. Break it up and bag it, but I want you to leave it on site. You cannot remove any material yet until it's tested. Okay, I don't want, you know, we don't need drywall or tile presumed, thrown, taken out to the trash. It's just not, the pro- bag it up. I would recommend, this is a very important, and ask me how I know because we did this wrong many times. Bag your material in clear bags, duct tape, double gooseneck the top, and maybe even get a Sharpie. Do not throw away. You don't want to do black trash bags where somebody who has not communicated with the rest of the team grabs it, takes it out to the dumpster, now removes it. I want all material being there. If OSHA were to come by, if, if any party were to come by and say, I want to check your, I want to check your work, we're following the procedure, which is leave this on site. You get your samples. You've gotten a license to do it yourself, or you hire someone to come out and do it. It's always a good idea to use a third party. You know, you're not tied to it. There's no conflict of interest. They test it, take it to a lab, maybe that day, maybe two days later because it's a weekend. You have equipment going. You have a humidifier stabilizing. You've extracted. You're now mitigating you are now mitigating, you're you're trying to prevent secondary damages that may occur from microbial, amplified microbial mold growth or otherwise. So you've got your equipment going. You get results back, no asbestos, boom. Proceed as you always would. Asbestos containing materials, it's time to call in an abatement company, have a protocol written, they have to file for a license, most states require a license permit to be pulled for asbestos, they're gonna do that. Pull your equipment out, let them do that, You don't want your equipment in there. You're going to have to decon your equipment because it's now been running and what you have found out was an asbestos-containing material project. You need to decon that equipment, okay? Change your filters. Clean it thoroughly inside and out. Don't use compressed air. That's illegal as well. That's in OSHA. Clean it really well. Let the remediation, the abatement happen with the the mold or the uh, asbestos, excuse me, and then come back and then complete your structural drying. You may have to still do... Cleaning you may have to do your drying, but you have now Properly mitigated this job. You're going to customers going to say thank you for testing My house was built in 2013. There's no way and I've seen this Dozens of dozens of times a customer will Swear there's no asbestos in this house. It was built after 91 and then you find it and then the customer, oh my gosh, what if we had gone with, we didn't know what we didn't know, right? And now you're doing the professional thing. You've documented it, you've got a lab, you've got the results, you've got the OSHA. Now you're going to have a carrier who is going to start the, or a TPA. Why did you test this? Um, I've seen, I've heard it all. Why did you test it? Uh, we don't. We don't pay for testing this and this and this. I would tell you, as anybody that knows me, uh, I'm really not concerned what you do and don't pay for. It. That's between you and the insured. But you needed to tell the insured they're telling you they don't want to pay for it. That's I don't know what your policy reads. It. I'm not allowed to read your policy. It's UPPA, unlicensed practice of public adjusting. I'm not allowed to interfere with that. But I would tell you in, in my own personal business and home and car if the insurance carrier says they don't pay for things, it had better be an exclusion written into the policy. It better be in writing that we don't pay for asbestos or asbestos containing material testing or any of that. Most policies don't have that in anywhere in the language. That whole argument will go away, but this is not to preclude you from doing the right thing. I don't even care if you're on a program or a TPA. This supersedes no carrier can make you not follow the law and protect your workers. And and I want you to think, we're going to talk about that in a moment too. I don't want to get too deep. But if you have a carrier, and I've done this, if you have a carrier, an adjuster, a desk adjuster, a TPA, whoever, engineer, tell you that this house does not have asbestos, I'm not going to pay for testing. Please put that in writing. Please email that to the insured, because I'm going to test it. I will tell you right now, Testing costs a few hundred dollars. Depending on the expedition of it, how fast you need those, how far away that is. It might be in the middle of Wyoming, and you have to send those examples or those samples off to Denver, Salt Lake, Phoenix. There's very, very, very multiple reasons there, but it costs what it costs. It's a a required step, okay? You're still going to do it. And the customer, the homeowner, because I told you in the beginning of this podcast, you're going to put this into your contract that they've signed. You're still going to have to follow this due diligence clause. You're bound by law to do so. It's just like theft. It's just like assaulting people. It's just like any crime. You don't do a crime or you will do the time. There are repercussions and there are things there. that If you do break a crime, there are consequences. In this case, it's your business. I know restoration contractors in this country that have ignored, even going to the training, people I know that know this, still don't test their jobs, still don't follow these procedures because of homeowner, because of, well, the other guys and the other colored franchise or those independent guys or whoever, they don't do it. And they're over here telling the customer that I'm a hack or that I'm a crook for doing this. But you can't listen to any of that. I would I would be asking the customer. I'm appalled that others aren't following the law. I would actually question that. Um, I'm not a hack. I'm not a criminal. I'm actually following the law. This is kind of contrary to that. So don't don't fall into that trap where you hear that and think about it. I'm not competitive. I won't get this job. If there is someone that wants you to do a project on their property and not test, and protect your workers, protect your company's liability, that's not a job for you. That's not your customer, and it's certainly not worth an $8,000 project to get fined for the fine amounts. Different in every state, but I will tell you, I know someone that has been fined $62,000, not only for one job, but um, OSHA went back and tested Multiple projects in the past that they had done and they were hot. They tested, the, you know, they tested this drywall, and they know there had been demolition there, and they got hit with sixty-two thousand dollars. Not everybody would survive that, okay? Um, so don't be those guys. Don't be those girls, okay? Don't be that company. Follow the rules. Understand that you're going to have objections, but I want to know. I want you to know that these objections that you're going to be getting are coming from education, I hope. I I think that many, many people just don't know, like maybe you didn't before today, but I I really think that there's a a place where we can change this industry like we have been in so many other areas of what we do. And it comes from being together, doing it the same and becoming consistent as an industry. It's hard to say that this is a standard when only 3% do it. Um, a good friend of mine, Dave Luce, Matt Marie, several other people, a lot of people test every single job, and, and they're all, we're all in this this crusade together. Why are we doing this? There's, there's no money to be made. This is not a money grabbery. If you do or don't test and do or don't follow these procedures and you're across the country and, and, and you just don't do it and just continue, stick your head in the sand and break the law, I'm never really going to know, and it's not going to change my life at all. But it's going to change your staff. So the people that work for you and yourself—you are sons and daughters, and, and husbands and wives, and friends and parents—that are being exposed to something that later is going to potentially make you sick. And hindsight is is, is a real bitch. So we have these laws in place to protect, but the OSHA, OSHA is first, I tell everybody this. I've dealt with OSHA thousands of times in my life. OSHA is in compliance mode and education first and consulting before they're ever in enforcement where they're right. they don't wanna write a ticket. They will help you. If you reach out to your OSHA office locally, you would be amazed at the level of education and resources that they'll provide. They'll even probably speak to a group of, of restorers in your market, like we do with the Alliance of Independent Restorers. We have chapters. We did this in Maryland, where the MOSHA, it's called M-O-S-H-A, MOSHA, Maryland Occupational Safety and Hazard Association. The director came on to a Zoom call during COVID and had a, I think we did it in two different sessions, and they were both an hour and a half, explained to everybody exactly what I'm saying, telling everyone that his office has a library of resources available from education, videos, training, that the whole group that was on the call when the world opens back up were welcome to come to their training room at Moshe and they would put on a free workshop to educate everyone. So, you know, it's it's, it's really... It's really, really important that this topic, it's just one of many, 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 but this, I'm on a a crusade at the moment. I'm kind of on a campaign. This is very topical in a lot of the groups. This is very topical amongst a lot of my peers and IEPs. And as we continue to have materials coming in from China, um, and there's other materials in this, you've heard of formaldehyde that's in this drywall that's coming from China. Hazardous, test for it. Um, Every fire you do, this is controversial. If you go to a fire or smoke job, you should be calling in a laboratory to test the fallout, both air and tape lifts. And if you see the level of combustible materials that are found there and compare those to the PELs of EPA, sometimes they're hundreds of times higher. The fire department has called on to this. Um, fire departments are now approaching how they wear their PPE during a fire much different. And a long time ago, they would put the fire out, and whip their mask off and stay in the property. The micron size of the particles after a fire are so small that our typical organic vapor and our typical full face, those respirators don't work for that. Those are working up to five microns. These are sometimes one to three, very small particulate. Getting into your bronchial. Um, but the funny thing about fires, and this, this podcast is not about fire, we could do that at a different time, through absorption, it hits your skin and absorbs in. Um, some of the very toxic materials are benzenes, hydrocarbons, there's just so many, The list goes on and on and on. If you test them, you will get a results back of how much, what percent and how high these levels are, then you compare that to the PELs for EPA you will see that you're putting your staff into these structures for three to five to seven days for the cleaning without the proper PPE, without the you know, and then letting other people, homeowners should not be staying there. I would say most of these little smoke jobs, the, the insured should be moving out during the, until the source material is removed, until it has been cleared with a new test to say it's now safer to clean. It's bad for you. Same as asbestos. So my desire, my dream in this industry is to have us represent ourselves and be represented as bigger professionals. We, we talk about we want to make restoration, remediation a, a trade in the industry, its own standalone trade, because um, we are different. We're not a handyman. We, we, these are the types of standards and policies that we follow in laws. These are some of the steps. We have to be the thing that we want to be before we allow anybody else to call us that, if that makes sense. Um, I would love to hear your feedback um, in the comments of this video and the podcast comments. Reach out to us at restorationadvisors.com. We're going to continue putting out podcasts. They always won't be um, as, as boring as asbestos. But I think it's very, very important. I'm glad we were able to do this one today and fill in this gap between when I had some guests coming up. i got some really great guests. If you didn't catch the last episode, episode 20, we had the whole group at REITS there, okay? Dave Hodge works at Reed's. He will tell you all his, his experience in the fire service and the safety and health and safety world will tell you how important it is to, to properly assess the risk and liabilities that you have on a project. Um, I'll end with just one more thing. Speaking of REITs and IIC, they're, they're obviously huge huge teachers of courses. The new IICRC S-500 standard, page 32, has reference to the OSHA laws. And it says, due diligence, test all. You have to test to make sure there is no hazard before you can say there is a written there's no date range or anything. It's in and now it's in not only OSHA, but our own standard. So you've got all this converging effort to try to help spread this message. It's up to me. It's up to you. If you're in your market and you don't want to be the only one being the the the, the proper one because you're getting you're being told you're the only one, do something about it. Reach out to every single Contractor restoration contractor in your market, have everybody get together for a big drink or a big a big coffee or drink or lunch or dinner at your place. Become friends, but for the greater good, let's make sure we're doing this the right way. And if they're all doing the same way, then we start to eliminate uh, uh, the the inconsistencies of who's doing what. The adjusters or the uh, or your referral or referral partners. You may have plumbers. You say I'm going to use ABC because they don't get into all this asbestos stuff, blah, blah, blah. I would be worried about referring anyone to an insured that I care about. If I'm a plumbing company or if I'm anybody, I would be really, really not sleeping well with myself if I recommended a company who doesn't follow known hazards to not only their own staff, but to the structured people. So that's my stance on it. I hope it's yours. I hope you will take this and adopt it. So final steps here. I want you to share this with your team. I want you to devise a plan on how you're going to implement a JSA or a JHA. I will put a copy of one of those in on this podcast. It's you can get those on OSHA.org free. OSHA has all the components. Develop a process around every job doing a, a site assessment. Develop partnership with, with, with asbestos companies or abatement as well as testing. Have a plan and never, ever, ever run into a project. I don't care how any fast anybody wants you to go or how fast they want to get their house back to normal or want to get open if they're a business. Go in do the emergency services. Don't disturb the product. Use proper PPE, stabilize it, and then pump the brakes and say, now we have to go into our mode. We have to test. We have some things we have to do. If your customer doesn't want to do any of that and aren't hearing any of your any of your, um, your justifications? Thank you for your time. We'll send you an invoice for the little bit that we did. This isn't a job for us, because it tells me they just don't care about your team as much as you do, and that's not a customer of mine. So I hope this helps. If you have any questions about any of this, if, if, if this wasn't clear, or if you have objections to any of it, or if you have examples where you had similar experiences or otherwise, I want you to please reach out to us at restorationadvisors.com, comment down in the link below, start a conversation on one of the groups about it. Let's let's discuss it because that's how we resolve it. I want to thank you and, and I hope that you can go out and continue to build a very profitable and professional restoration company. Have a fantastic day.